previously on the Enneagram Journey. Listen, we got another problem, all right? We're running out of glasses and I can't run the dishwasher because it's too big of a power suck. It's going to kill the AC. I got to fix. We got this stuff back when we were going to have the Memorial Day party, but then we had to cancel it because of the blizzard. Oh! You brought the Yeah! That's, that's working together, thing. baby. Nice. The Lord provide us again. No, Mac. No. The Lord not provideth. Frank provideth. He's the one who bought the cups. Frank provideth. That, well, the Lord provided the snowstorm in May that allowed us to get the cups now. See, uh -huh. it's all a part of his divine plan, Dennis. And that's locked in, so we're good. Okay, so all we have to do is nothing. No, no, because uh, we have free will, Dennis, which mm. means that um, we have to take the necessary steps to make sure that that plan comes to fruition. Which is predetermined. Yes. But it doesn't matter what we do if it's all predetermined. Do you see how your argument doesn't make any sense? Uh, that's correct. But it doesn't have to make sense because that's where the faith comes in. Right? I have faith that what I'm saying makes sense. Okay, so even if it doesn't make sense, your faith makes it make sense. Correct. Got it. Okay, so there's no way to have a rational conversation with you. No. Fears of the past week or the fears of the upcoming month? I think it's very helpful to say them to somebody who, do, who isn't dismissive. Mm -hmm. Is that true for you? Yes, yes, for sure. And I have, I have dif different fears that I have different people I can talk to them about. Like my fears about my black sons. Mm -hmm. I have other moms that are also parenting black kids. They don't ever belittle those feelings and they understand them. Right. So yes. Yeah. I took the liberty of writing down some exit lines because obviously you can't come up with any on your own. Here, take a look at those. I've got hockey practice. Sure. My boss is trying to contact me about a project that could save the company. Mm -hmm. Schmidt, these are such obvious rejections. I don't want to hurt their feelings. Hurt their feelings? Do you just walk around all day thinking about other people's feelings? Yeah, don't you? No. How do you get anything done? It's hard. Oh, we're getting stuff done, and we're thinking about people's feelings. We're talking about faith and mystery, and we're talking about the importance of community in today's episode of the Anagram Journey podcast with Suzanne Stabile, the Anagram Godmother. Today is part two with myself, Joel, and Shannon, Anagram 8, and Corey, Anagram 6, Martin. Be sure and check the show notes to find links for Shannon's writing and the Elkhart Prison Ministry. While you're checking out those links, go ahead and check out the one you've heard 152 times before in these intros, lifeinthetrinityministry.com. New workshops coming up, New small groups, including A Path Between Us, small group in Dallas at the Micah Center. New great content and conversations on the table. And it's just the best way to stay connected with LTM and the podcast. We hope to see you at an upcoming event, whether it's in Dallas for the joy and complexity of fostering and adoption, or maybe it's in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, for a weekend on relationships and the Enneagram with the Godmother. And if you have the time to rate and review the podcast on whatever app you're listening on, that would be awesome. It helps us reach more people, and it's going to help more people find us. And now, let's continue the journey with Suzanne, Corey, and Shannon. Yeah, you might as well just pay him for it and tell him you're not bringing it back. Right. Because <laughs> I don't think you are. I bet you're right. Um, Corey, what have you learned in prison ministry? Well, a lot. I learned that. I've learned that I, I still don't really know what I'm doing. <laughs> Seems like that's the theme of this whole conversation yeah. is that none of us really know what we're doing. We're going to rename the well, podcast that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I know I, I've hit on it. I hit on it briefly already that 
I've really come to believe that the jail ministry is just as much a ministry to the church as it is the people who are incarcerated here. And this, the Elkhart County Jail is the second largest jail in the state of Indiana. And we've just been fortunate. We've had sheriffs and captains who have just been incredibly supportive of our ministry. So we have hundreds of volunteers. We have about 15 assistant chaplains. Uh, we're able to do tattoo removal inside and outside the jail. We have reentry housing on the outside. So we have a community that's also just incredibly supportive. Uh, but really quickly, really early on, you realize, oh, this isn't really about me coming in to impart my knowledge on them or, or to save them. And, the, and pretty soon you start feeling like, oh, I feel like I'm getting more out of this than they are, <laughs> which is an uncomfortable place to be at first. Um, I've, our, our main, our main goal for the jail ministry is we want people to experience what the kingdom of God is like. We don't think that you should have to die and go to heaven before you get, before you get to experience the kingdom of God. So it'd be something we experience here on earth. And then, and so part of that is my experience in the kingdom of God is not complete unless it includes a lot of people who are incarcerated in the Elkhart County jail. And our churches in Elkhart County are not complete unless they have people who have been, who are coming out of incarceration. Uh, and so it's, it's kind of, it feels a little selfish sometimes because I really, I believe that my life has been better the more I, the more, the more friendships and relationships I have uh, with the people here inside the jail. And so it's switched from what can I go in to do to these people to what can I go in? I wonder what God has to show me and teach me through this person who has been through hell on earth. And most of the people here just have really difficult life stories. And they talk to you about how they've been able to work through those, how they've been able to forgive their parents uh, for terrible things and forgive their spouses or whoever. And you realize, oh, I, they, this person probably knows has a deeper understanding of the forgiveness of God than I do, because I've not had to, I've not had to experience that. I have trouble forgiving people for much less than what these, the people here have had to forgive. I think that's the biggest takeaway for me is this is really a two-way ministry. And we come in here and we're open to sharing with them what, you know, about our lives. And then we have to be just as open to hear from them about what God has done in their lives. And it's really a mutual type ministry. It's a different mindset than going in there and seeing how many people you can save. Yeah. We'll let God do that. Yeah. Let God handle God's business. I'll do this. Right. And it's also been really, one of the the things that keeps me up at night the most and is also the most encouraging is I think the Elkhart County Jail is the only place in this area where you can find believers of all denominations, Mm -hmm. very conservative churches, very progressive churches, and they're all involved in the ministry. They're, they're serving communion together inside the jail they're doing baptisms together inside the jail. They all, you know, they're volunteering. I'm speaking at their churches and it's just so, it's so encouraging to see, Oh, for whatever reason, this ministry seems to be something that we can set aside some of our differences Mm -hmm. and, I think to some extent our volunteers feel safe in the jail ministry. They don't have to pretend to be something they're not. And they know that somebody who believes differently than they do on any number of issues um, 
will be right beside them. And it's, it's not an impediment to ministry or a relationship. It also scares me though, because I'm always concerned. Okay. What am I going to say? That's going to upset this church and not this church. Or what, what am I going to say that? Cause we have just such a broad range of denominations. So it's yeah. a blessing. And it also gives me some consternation. Pause. Pause. <laughs> Pause. Well, you know, it's interesting for those people of different faiths, beliefs, and different denominations coming together, focused on something else. Uh, our friend Brian McLaren says, what you focus on determines what you miss. Mm. And so often denominationally, we're working <sighs> real hard to get everybody to believe like we believe and we miss. The, well, we, try, the, yeah, we, we try to, we try to, um, narrow the number of hills we're all willing to die on. There you go. And when you boil it down, and if we can just agree and say we're all we're all trying to follow Jesus. And that's kind of the one hill we're willing to die on. Mm-hmm. And you know, when you're in the jail doing a Bible study or a class, we're not going to have debates about speaking in tongues or baptism. Um those things that divide us, we just kind of leave outside the walls. And then when somebody leaves the jail and they go to your church, then you can try to you know, indoctrinate them on the, on the specifics of your denomination, but inside the jail, we're just going to focus on who is Jesus and how can, how can we help? How can we all experience the kingdom of God? Even if it's inside the Elkhart County jail. I, can I say something about that? I, I'm going to like, I don't know. I don't like to say I'm going to brag on Corey for a second, but you, you mentioned Corey, you said for some reason, we just, we all kind of work together. And I just want to point out that you provide really important leadership. It, it's not just like, I don't know how that happened for some reason. It just works. You do a good job. I mean, I think that's, that's a big part of, of the work you do is, is just kind of, you know, keeping, keeping that, um, that, that important unity at the forefront. Well, you have, going back to what we talked about before, you have, maybe some more progressive churches in Elkhart County and conservative churches in Elkhart County. And we all come into here with certain preconceived ideas of what justice is, Mm -hmm. uh, what justice reform should be like, what people deserve if they commit a crime, what people who are addicted to meth are like, uh, people who commit, you know, really terrible crimes, what this, what this person is like. We come in with those preconceived ideas and then we come in here and we meet people and we sit down with them. We have lunch with them and we're just, we're just with them. And then both sides realize, Oh, I've got some things wrong. And so I think that there's also like a mutual humility, like this church can come in and think, okay, I, I think I, I've been taught this, but now I know this person and it doesn't quite fit anymore. And I think both sides of the aisle, so to speak, come to that realization when they come into the jail. I know, I know Shannon and I did. That's what I was going to ask. If you came in uh, with the same preconceived ideas and notions that have changed, I came in completely ignorant. That's not bad. <laughs> <laughs> that's not a bad place to be yeah. if you're if you're entering a new community, mm-hmm. right? I wanted to piggyback on what Shannon said <clears throat> with a a question. We talk about that any enneagram number can have any vocation and job and career and excel at it. And that being said, 
it seems like as a you've got some natural gifts on board as a six for the job and the position that you're you're in. And is that true? And for both you and the godmother there to talk to. So something that I, I don't know what to make of this quite yet. Um, I have been a phobic six my entire life. I mean, when I read when I read the road, um, the road back to you, and I like a lot of people when I read the six or when somebody reads their number, it, there was nothing that didn't describe me perfectly. And I've always been a phobic six. This. Although this job, I, I'm much more um, counterphobic, which I think has helped me. I like what I don't know what to make is I like the counterphobic version of myself much better than the phobic version of myself, and I feel like I'm like I'm sometimes two different people. I'm phobic in my personal life and counterphobic at work, um, and so I think I do think. I'm learning to appreciate my sixness more, but I do think the, especially being a six and a counterphobic six has been, has served me well as the chaplain. And I wish I would have come to this awakening sooner in life. Okay. Well, my response to that is whenever you get there, you're right on time. <laughs> and, uh, but I, you know, my teach, my teaching has changed since the writing of the road in that I used to pretty much say you are you what are you cobic or phobic or counterphobic and now i say where do you find yourself on the continuum between phobic and counterphobic mm-hmm. and uh my question for you would be when you first started the prison ministry and started as chaplain were you more phobic or more counterphobic oh i was all phobic yeah i don't shannon may not remember this but it was probably just a few days after I started. I remember coming home and going to uh, the playroom in our house, sitting on the couch. And I, I felt like I was having a breakdown because I thought, what did I just do? I left this job where, you know, I was secure. I kind of knew what I was doing for a job that I knew nothing about. And I didn't know what I was doing. And I just had this. I couldn't shake the feeling that I had just made a really big mistake. But since then, I'm not sure when the transition made. I think it was just a slow one. I think I realized one day, oh, I'm, I'm more counterphobic than I am phobic right now. Mm-hmm. I don't think I was aware of it until I was looking back on in hindsight. The thing that I would suggest is that for you to think about is um, the gift that you took in is that sixes are always concerned about the common good. Mm. That's the deal. They're they're. Uh, inner terrain uh, leads them to try to secure for everyone good. I would think anybody uh, leaving Washington and going into the Midwest into prison ministry as a chaplain would be phobic, regardless of your Enneagram number. <laughs> well, I'm not sure what I'm doing here, and I've, I don't know what to do, and I'm here now and I'm carrying all of these bad stories, quote unquote, about all of these, quote unquote, bad people. What am I doing here? And mm-hmm. I think with every day that you knew what you were doing there, you inched your way toward counterphobic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Well, I realized quickly that part, part of the reason that I was so uncomfortable is I realized quickly, I can't do anything to help any of these people here. There's nothing I can do to fix their problems. Can't get them out. <laughs> no. And I can't fix the family issues. I can't fix addiction issues. I can't fix housing issues. I can't fix trauma issues. And so I didn't know what my purpose was. I thought I was going to come in here and be able. And so it's been, it's been really good for me. I think I've become more and more comfortable with uncertainty mm-hmm. in the past four or five years. And I think that was part of it mm-hmm. is, okay, I just can't do anything here. And so I'm going to have to be okay with that. Well, there's uncertainty in, in your lives uh, individually and collectively and at work and everywhere, right? And so I, I have a question for you, and that is, what do you think the difference is in living with uncertainty and living with mystery? One of my complaints um, about the church is that it hasn't taught us to live with mystery. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And one of the things that sixes are aching for is certitude and you know you can't have it right how does all that play out for the for the two of you well for me theologically i have i it's been so freeing for me to let go of a lot of stuff i thought i had to have the answer to and i've actually so yes i would describe it as mystery when i think about my spiritual life um so i guess i use the word uncertainty uh, here at the jail but i found it to be very comforting to know that, um, that I don't have to have all the answers uh, theologically or spiritually, and that there's room to wiggle a little bit. I kind of like that. Um, and part of it is because I've, through the jail ministry, we've become close friends, and I got to people who believe differently on theological issues than I do, and I see they're absolutely wonderful people who are being led by the Spirit, and I don't have to, I don't have to think any less of them anymore. I don't have to try and convince them that they're wrong and that I'm right. And so I, that's one of the, I think the biggest changes in myself for the past five years is I've actually come to appreciate more of the mystery. I, I feel like I don't, I don't even necessarily want to have all the answers. I don't have, want to try and figure it all out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I second, I second all that. I mean, I think it's, it's, removing that pressure to have certainty. I just, you know, I grew up in the thick of, of that, like apologetic stuff, like be ready to answer for your beliefs Mm -hmm. at any time. And I never, I pretended like, Oh, okay, sure. I can do that. But I never, I never felt like I could. And, and that, you know, then you, that leads to, especially when you're a child, all kinds of other anxieties, I guess. So I also think for us, when we existed most of our lives in what was essentially, you know, a type of echo chamber, it's real easy to be certain about things when you only surround yourself with people who look, live and believe the same way you do. Right. Right. (laughs) And, and the minute we got, I mean, even, you know, when our, when our oldest son, Robert got out of prison and that's around that, you know, he came into our family through that process. It's, he came into our family when he was 18. He got out of prison when he was 19 and he moved into our home on house arrest. We had, you know, little kids. We had not lived in this home for very long. There was a lot going on. Um, but I, I remember even then, you know, I, I 
this is not the responsibility of my kids <laughs> to teach me uh, or to give me a, a bigger worldview, but it is something that happened, you know, yeah. particularly with Robert was confronting, you know, just my own, my own, um, my own biases or my own, you know, our way is the right way. Well, that was easy. It was easy for me to, to see that we had these answers when, when we, they had never been tested yeah. in so many ways. And so, you know, then, and, and, and I would say the same, like that, that sense of allowing that circle to be drawn wider around who we think of as our community and who we recognize mm -hmm. as our neighbors, that just splits things wide open. And I, you know, I think a lot of people are afraid of that. I think I was, I was taught to kind of think as of difference as being a little dangerous in some way. I don't know that anybody ever used those words for me, but you know, it's like, oh, something's different. You kind of want to take a couple steps back or put distance between you. Um, and it's, it's, it's the opposite. Exactly. You know? When we can find ways to shorten that space between us, we are safer. We are more well. Um, and that's just something, you know, we, we continue to learn that through our kids, through our community, through men and women inside the jail, outside the jail, the, the people I get to serve lunch to. Um, yeah, I'm just, I, I, that's my, that's one of my, you know, one of my soapboxes that I hop up on often is we just, we have to be spending time in the world around us with the people yeah. around us, particularly if we feel like, you know, we, we don't have things in common on paper. Yeah. Well, and, and not that safety is necessarily the goal in life, but I think it's too, the wider your circle is the safer you are. Yeah. Oh, we can sure. define safety differently. I mean, I, yeah, yeah, but like at its essence, yeah. yeah when, when sure. we're connected to each other, that's a safer way to go. But growing up, I would have thought you kept yourself safe by drawing a smaller circle. Right. Mm -hmm. For sure. Mm -hmm. And there's a tendency in sixes to draw a smaller circle too. I really, I really like small circles. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, uh, pull together some things. You're going to recognize all of these things, but I've pulled them from different places. Okay. Are you ready? <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, you're going to, oh, this is going to be I easy. I can't wait. I can't wait. Yeah. I'm yeah. Kidding. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Start with hello. The ministry of ordinary places <laughs> can be fulfilling. I'm falling free, rescued from the life I always wanted. We're living in Goshen, Indiana. You know, you could too. You don't have to live detached, distracted, and divided. I do recognize those things. <laughs> so those are choices that the two of you have made yeah. under the titles of books that uh, you've written that tell your story as a couple, as a prison chaplain and as an author and as parents of diverse and adopted children. Mm -hmm. The two that I'd like to spend a little minute with are, Corey, I'd like for you to respond to the title Falling Free, Rescued from the Life I Always Wanted. Uh, Shannon, I think both thought that we knew exactly what our life should be like. And we had this picture in our mind. 
I mean, it's interesting to think that you're rescued from something you didn't know you needed to be rescued from. I would say that's probably a recurring theme in my life. And I only recognize it after the fact, looking back, thinking, um, thank goodness I'm not still there. I'd say politics was one of those things for me too. I didn't really know I needed to be rescued from it until I was, I was out of it. And most of it, I was rescued from with no effort on my own, of my own. I just, so the falling part, I think also describes how I ended up, how we ended up getting out of certain things. Uh, in politics, one of my, my bosses had to resign early because of a, a, a scandal he was involved in. So that's, I had a <laughs> no longer in politics. Um, and it was terrifying at first, but looking back, I'm really glad it happened. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't even know if I'm capable of like having enough foresight to see things that I need to be from. It feels like God has been gracious enough to, to pull the rug out from under me in the times that I was too ignorant to know that I needed to move on to something else. And I don't like risk. And so I'm just, my tendency is to, even if I'm not happy or fulfilled, I will tend to stay where I'm at as opposed to risk something that I'm unsure of. Sure. Sure. That's why you got and Shannon. That's the, you got, yeah, you got exactly. foresight, foresight and risk ready. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I think that's the best part and the worst part of being a six, right? Is that you, you hate change and change comes and you go with it. Mm-hmm. James Finley says, sometimes God comes in the middle of the night. And takes from you what you can't let go of. Mm. And, uh, you know, I think that we've talked about that for all of our time together now. That there were things we just couldn't let go of. And now, looking back, and then that's one of my favorite quotes, too. um, From, I had to really think to get to James Finley, and now I can't. I feel it's like Julian and Norwich about living your life forward and understanding backwards. Yeah, yeah. It, that's the that is the quote. But that's not the person. No. So we live our lives forward, but we understand them looking back. Mm. Kierkegaard. Yeah. Kierkegaard said, mm. "We live our lives forward, but we understand them looking back." And and my answer is, and you two represent it fully. Maybe we all four do, but uh, not without faith. You don't. And by faith, I mean faith in something bigger than we are, calling us to something bigger than what we're doing, right? If you can't respond to that, then what? And so, Corey, in your ministry uh, as the chaplain, um, what, what happens to people when they are leaning into and faithfully willing to follow a new path and they're trapped in the place they are on the path they're on. How in the world does the Enneagram inform that, if you know? How does a chaplain's role inform that. How? How? 
And I mean, it describes a lot. I mean, it describes not just people here at the jail, it describes me <laughs> a lot. Me too. But, yeah. But the, so there's so many people here at the jail who, who are, are doing everything they can while they're here and incarcerated to do things differently. And there's a sincere desire and acknowledgement uh, that they need to do things differently, that uh, what they've been doing doesn't work or hasn't worked. Um, their faith can really grow while they're here. And then when they get out, all the security and support and stable stability they had while they were here disappears. And so even with the best of intentions, I think when people leave, life is just really, really difficult. And so we have learned, I, I'm not sure where, she and I read this once, uh, where you, you learn to celebrate the small successes. Mm -hmm. And so for some people, it might look like they were out and sober for three months before they relapsed instead of three weeks. Mm -hmm. And so you celebrate with people where, they're, where they are. And the idea that you would, that we would ever judge or condemn somebody uh, mm -hmm. for coming back in for whatever reason, I mean, just has no place at all. Right. <laughs> in right. it, within a system that was set up for them to come back. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. That's an important part of that. Yes, it is very important. And so you, you measure, you don't, you know, first of all, I'm not even sure we even, we don't even try to measure success. I'm not even sure what that means. Um, but as long as we are, as long as they only ever feel love and forgiveness and acceptance from us, then we have done our job. And I think that's all that we can really do. We can offer opportunities for people while they get out or when they get out. Um, I don't even remember your original question, but <laughs> yeah, me either. I, how, I have no idea what it was, yeah. but all good. All good. The last thing you said. I'm really uh, all about. So can you say again that the three things are love, acceptance, and forgiveness? Forgiveness. And and that's it. And we might help you find a home when you get out or a halfway house or something. And we might be able to help you find a job. But yeah. it's almost like we 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 owe you this. Yeah. And who there was, I don't know if it was a saint. Somebody said you you, you trust in the long, slow work of God. Yeah. And it, so I I've become convinced God just works a lot slower than we do. Yeah. And I know we get ahead of ourselves all the time. The gentleman, we want to do this for somebody or do this for somebody. We're in a rush to do things quickly. Everything's an emergency. Um, but I don't know what somebody's life is going to look like 30, 40 years from now. There might be people yeah. who we came in contact with today and the next 30 years of their life might just be chaotic. And then, you know, we, we've seen this before. It's like a, mm -hmm. a switch is flipped and, and they make the, they make a, a transition in a, to a totally new life. And it's not because of anything that we did. Um, but we may have been there ready for when they were, you know, ready to make that decision, mm -hmm. that change. And we were able to be there. That's, that's what I think we need to do. We need to, we need to be, we need to place ourselves in positions to be there for when people are ready. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't know that I have a whole lot to do of, of how soon people, people are ready. Exactly. It happens when it happens. I, I have sure. no I way to, I wish I could predict it and I can't. Mm -hmm. 
We've tried to sure. predict it. We've been wrong every time. Hundred <laughs> percent. Almost, yeah. <laughs> well, one of the things that I've added to our little questionnaire that y'all are the first to answer, uh, the new questionnaire, now that people opted out of it, um, but that is just because it's selfishly, it's something that I'm really wanting to explore and look into is people's spiritual practices and spiritual disciplines that they are practicing in their life. Because And part of that is because I know that I need to add more of it. And so if y'all can talk about what you responded with, kind of share with that. Also, people, when they come to LTM and when they start doing anagram work, and then Joan and Suzanne start talking about spiritual practices, then they ask, okay, how do these mesh together? And what are good ones for me? And I've, this isn't working for me, et cetera. So having an eight and a six, share that information and mm -hmm. uh, experience would be great. Mm -hmm. When I saw that question, I immediately thought, I don't have any. <laughs> that was my honest answer because I, I grew up like, have your daily quiet time every day. I was never good at that. You know, pray. I've, I've written way before I even started to really disentangle some of my faith stuff. I was saying, you know, I, I'm a terrible prayer and there's no such thing. And I know that, but I've always felt ill-equipped for what we think of as like these, these certain spiritual practices and, you know, church stuff feels complicated and messy right now too. But then I really thought about it and I wrote down what I know is my spiritual practice and it is paying attention to the sky. <laughs> and it is I mean, I, I, it's the reason, you know, the font, the title of start with hello, my newest book that it's clouds behind those words. It's really kind of somebody, another author teased me on Instagram and said, well, you've effectively branded the sky. Now nobody can look at the sky without thinking of <laughs> Shannon, which was not my intention, but yeah, you ought to claim that and say, yep. And I'm smart to do it. Right. Yeah. I just, it's something I fell into. I think a lot of you know, when, when we moved into this neighborhood with some of that baggage of this sense that I had as like, now I got to go out into these streets and drum up business for God. I mean, that's really, that's really, if I'm being very honest, I felt some of that, even though I felt like I was like not coming as a savior and all those things, mm -hmm. I knew what to say, but I also knew what was still in me. And, 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 you know, I, I write about these themes through, through all of my books, but, but what I have learned is paying attention is prayer and yes. noticing God's goodness every single day. I mean, I cannot, you know, for years, I just, it, nobody told me this was a spiritual practice. Nobody told me to do this, but I just found myself noticing and, and I cannot be, I'm looking out the window right now. Like the minute I'm outside, I'm constantly just looking up. It's the first thing I do. I take pictures. We've had a lot of gray skies here this winter in Indiana grayer than usual. And that's been tough in some ways, but you know, then you get that day, you get that sunrise, you're up in time to see it. And I, there, the metaphor is endless. You know, I just, I think we are, we're all under the same sky that matters to me. I think sky, the sky is really accessible beauty that we all have access to at any time. I think of my oldest son, Robert, and I think all the time, I wonder if he notices the sky and I need to just talk to him about it sometime because I just, I feel like if, if, you know, in the midst of our complicated and stressful lives, 
noticing the beauty of a sunset. I've I've been able to indoctrinate my younger, my three younger kids that when they see a, a, a beautiful sky, they come and get me or they send me a picture. And it's, you know, it's like such a love language for me. But but that is that is the single spiritual practice that makes me feel um connected to God, to my community, strangely, maybe. Um, it's the thing that that kind of keeps things together for me. Joel, the next time dad gives his definition that he uses all the time about what a spiritual practice is, we just need this recording of Shannon right behind that. Yeah. 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 I mean, that is, uh, according to Joe Stabile, that is it right there. You just mm-hmm. set it and you do it. Yeah. How many pictures of skies do you have people, do people send you every day? I mean, I never get tired of them. I look at every single one. I'm so happy. has to be filled with them. <laughs> wow. Wow. That's interesting. And it's such a good, it's such a good spiritual practice. Yeah. The beginning of Joe's definition is any act entered into with your whole heart. Yeah. Yeah. And then it goes on from there. I love that. Corey. I've been, I've been with the, I've been meeting with the spiritual director. I think the past four or five years now, and he introduced me to the prayer of examine. I'm, I'm not sure which saint this is attributed to, uh, but I've, I, I guess even spiritually, I, I still like routine and predictability and I'm not very spontaneous. Uh, and I'm not a good spontaneous prayer. Uh, and I'm not good at meditating. I feel like I'm not very good at a lot of stuff. But the prayer of examine, it was, I liked it because it it's structured. Um, it's the same thing that you kind of reflect on at the end of every day. Mm-hmm. And at there, over the past four or five years, I've been doing it more routinely. Some, you know, phases where I do it some more routinely than others. But I've always found it a very grounding experience for me to think through the day where I've seen God. Uh, reflect on um where have you seen god what are some areas that you can uh, look to in the future to improve on and it kind of helps you rethink the day and then rethink tomorrow and i'm always i'm always really good at thinking about things in the future of things that could go wrong so this has helped me think through in a practical way okay here's how today went here's what i can do tomorrow yeah is it St. Ignatius? Yes, that's who it is. And Ignatian spirituality. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to yeah, say Julian good... of Norwich again, but I would have been wrong. <laughs> that's just your answer today. Yeah, it's a go-to for me. Yeah. <laughs> My go-to this week is Julian of Norwich. <laughs> um, I want to be sure um, that we get to say that Shannon's three books are uh, the oldest, I believe, is Falling Free. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that's rescued from the life I always wanted is the subtitle. Uh, the next oldest is the ministry of ordinary places. Mm-hmm. There's so much to say about that. I would say that I particularly want to point out that book for ones, twos and sixes, because they are um, their orientation of time is the present moment. And that book really speaks to that. Yeah. And uh, then start with hello. And 
I, I don't even know what to do with this, Shannon, except that I'm going to work with it. And that is, <laughs> you don't have to live detached, distracted, and divided. Mm-hmm. And I honestly, the first time I read that line, I thought, you don't know my life. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure a lot of people think that. Well, but I, we I, don't, we don't have to live. Right. Way. And a lot of my writing is, is preaching to myself. Oh, sure. So there's that. Yeah. <laughs> I feel sure. like too. Yeah. yeah. I, mean, I think anytime we offer something out into the world as writers that we're not doing ourselves or we don't see in ourselves, then we're yeah. just making up stuff. Yeah. <laughs> That's my thing. I mean, yeah. as a, I'm an avid reader. I just want to, I want to be reading people's actual experiences. Right. I want to be taken into their moment and, and what they're living, not necessarily what they're thinking. That's a whole, that's a whole other soapbox, but yeah, the, my three books, they, they really, they carry an arc of a kind of center. It, and that wasn't completely intentional, but I, I very much can see it. It's just what I was living. You know, yeah. I was living these books as I was writing them. And, and so there's that thread of, of community and neighboring and falling free was kind of asking the question, why does this matter to God? Yeah. Um, yeah. Ordinary places was, was asking the question, who is my neighbor? Yeah. Um, and then start with hello was how do I do it? Yeah. And I wanted to, it was a, a little bit of a different kind of writing. I mean, I'm a storyteller by nature. So all of my, all of my writing is really immersed in my life um, stories that are intersecting my story. And, you know, it's, it's very place oriented. I, I write from a really, you know, you're going to read about the sky and you're going right. to read about the trees and you're going to read about um, you're going to read about the people and my place. Um, but I knew I wanted to, I, I, I wrote the first two books and people were still coming up to me at conferences and saying, okay, like I, I loved your books. I get it, but how do I do it? And and right. I was always like, I just wrote two whole books. Like, I felt like I was like giving that answer. Um, but I, but I wasn't giving it practically enough. And so, you know, I just, I, I kind of pulled back with this one and, and wrote the book that I wish I would have had, because I do think you know, there's the big study that just came out a couple weeks ago or a month ago. The it's it's become a book called The Good Life, where where these Harvard psychologists studied people's lives, a lot of people's lives for eight decades, 80 years, and and found what I I mean, I, I heard about it on the morning news, and they said, you know, they've identified the one thing that makes life better. And I was in my kitchen alone and I said, community. Right. Right. <laughs> and sure enough, I mean, that's, that's the you know, that's the data. And, and, and not, I, I appreciated that, that they're saying it's not just your spouse, your kids, your best friends. It's the, the grocery store you attend. It's church. It's people, you're the barista, like all of these connections, they, they weave us into a fabric that, that makes life better. Sure. And so how do we, how do we get to that fabric. And that's, that's what start with hello is. It's very, you know, I would say too, I've grown over time in my, um, you know, one of my other spiritual practices, quite honestly, is learning to give a voice to my anger and to love my anger and to, to see my anger as really important and beautiful fuel (laughs) for what I do. And so it's not an angry book, but being able to say, if we are, if we're going to live as neighbors, and I hope we are, mm-hmm. we're, it, it's going to ask of us that we get angry on behalf of other people now right. and then, that, that we get angry enough that we do something, that we get involved, that we walk with people. 
Um, so yeah, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of all of that. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Corey, I'd love for this to happen. You know, I believe there are more sixes than any other number. And if I could just plant this little seed, I feel sure that Shannon will water it and tend it for me. And that is, would you just pray about writing a journal about your life as a chaplain? Just consider making it available to other sixes in the world so that they can get to know a six who is uh, not in what folks would think is the safest place on the planet and what you find there about your own strengths and your own faith and courage and about other people. That's from my heart to yours. Yeah. You can disappoint me if you feel like you need to. <laughs> I'm just, I feel like I'm just not, that's something that I wish I could do. I just feel like I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan. Well, I don't feel like it. I'm not a fantastic writer. And I have a really hard time. Like I said earlier, Shannon knows exactly what she wants to say, and she has the perfect words for it. Sometimes I know it, sometimes I know what I want to say, and I always struggle to know how to say it. Yeah. Well, I, well, I what I'm that, it's struggle for me to do that. None of those excuses work for what I want you to do. <laughs> what excuse would work? <laughs> There's not one, man. Okay, all right. <laughs> you know, it it needs to be in a six voice. Yeah. yeah. Right? A phobic, counterphobic six voice. Not Shannon's voice. Yeah. Not my voice. A six voice. And I think sixes don't write because they think their voice isn't the right voice. Mm -hmm. So uh, read Anne Lamont. Have you read Anne Lamont? Shannon has. I have not. Read her. She's okay. a six, I'm sure. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. And then l let me know how to pray for your writing. Yes. <laughs> you should read. You should read some Julian of Norwich too. While you're at it. <laughs> Julian is a five. By the way, it's for everybody. Big six wing. Yeah. Right. I love it. Thank you all so much for mm. the past two hours. That could could be more. I mean, let's not kid ourselves. So, uh, if I felt like it was rude not to stop. What's that? <laughs> I could have kept going. I thought it was rude not to stop. <laughs> if we keep going, then we're going to have to pull up another microphone for Josephine. So, uh, Oh, she's been such a good yeah, girl. Yeah, she's doing uh, great. I love that name. Uh, I, w listen, we loved every minute of it. I mean, every minute. So thank you guys both. Mm, thank you. Is Josephine right there? She's not. She's, she's back outside. She's happy, so yeah. we're going to leave her. But uh, I'm telling you, gosh, I, I'd like to do dinner. Anytime. Yeah, anytime I'm in